Morning, everybody. It is great to be home. Matt and I roomed together for 10 days. That was an adventure. And it's uh, so good to be back. And we did an acoustic set today, and uh, I could hear you guys like Matt. I could hear you singing behind me. Man, you just filled my heart. It was awesome. Thanks for being here on this holiday weekend. The unofficial end to summer, I think. I'm in long pants because I got up this morning. It was 10 degrees above freezing in my house. Did not make me happy, but that's okay. We live with what we live with. Hey, it is good, uh, like I said, to be here. The one thing I wanna do before we get into Philippians today is I wanna take a moment. Some of you started school. Some of you start this next week or two. But if you're a teacher or you work for the school district at any level, would you uh, do us the honor? Would you just stand? I wanna pray for you. Just stand up for a minute. Just stay standing. Teachers, come on. School district employees. Yeah, give it up. Just stay standing. Stay up. No, no, stay up. I wanna pray for you guys right now. Father, thank you so much for each one of these people who serve our community, who serve kids, who serve the generations to come. And I pray that this would be their best year ever, that you would give them grace and favor. And Lord, as they look forward to a year, uh, maybe with a little bit of trepidation, maybe with excitement, wherever they're at on the scale of emotion, I pray, Lord, that you would remind them that they serve you, that, they, uh, that ultimately they minister to you and to kids in your name. And I pray you bless them, Lord. And every one of them, I pray you bless them now. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again, guys. Thanks for me pray for you. Well, we're in Philippians chapter three this morning. We've been in a series called Joy Matters. We'll finish it up at the end of this month. We'll be in three, uh, Philippians three, verse one to 11. I'll get there in just a minute. Uh, throughout this series, we've considered different aspects of how and where we can find joy in our lives. I said it a lot that Philippians is a book of rejoicing. 15 times the word joy or rejoice is used in this, uh, this amazing letter. And consistently, the teaching team, uh, Seth and Teresa, did a great job while I was gone, and we've told you again and again that often, more often than not, uh, joy does, has nothing to do with happy circumstances. It's not about things going the way you want. Well, I'll have more joy if things just go the way I want them to go. No, that's not what it's about at all. In fact, sometimes joy is discovered in the least likely of places and in the midst of really hard and difficult events, the joy of the Lord. Today, we're gonna see the joy isn't truly found in anyone or anything else but Jesus. Now, if you're not a Christ follower yet, that statement might offend you. You might think, well, what, wait, wait, I can find joy in other areas. The way the Bible defines joy, the way we define joy, joy being something beyond just happiness or giddiness, I wanna propose to you that joy is found in no one else. In fact, it's not found, truly found in anyone or anything else but Jesus. Uh, if you know me, you know I'm a bit of a perfectionist. Um, I'm, I'm probably a little OCD. Uh, working with me can be difficult. Being married to me uh, can be challenging at times. Uh, I did a little research on OCD. I, I was kind of curious to see if I qualified. Here's a, I just got this off the internet. You know, everything on the internet is true. So here's six common obsessive compulsive symptoms. Fear of being contaminated by germs. Check. Fear of losing or not having things you might need. Check. Demanding order and symmetry that everything line up just right. Oh, check. Excessive double checking of things such as locks, appliances, and switches. I'm really sick, check. <laughs> Accumulating junk and hoarding. I would say no, my wife would say yes, check. Ordering or arranging things to always be just so, you know it's funny, the top of my desk is perfect. Now don't open the drawers, but the top of my desk has an order and it really messes me up when it's not that way. So now I'm not making light of anyone who might actually have been diagnosed with OCD. I understand that's a serious condition. I'm simply saying that, that maybe I, it's just my personality, maybe I suffer from this, but all of my life, here's the point, all of my life, I've suffered with a perfectionist mentality. I don't know where it started, I don't know why, 
but all of my life, I've wrestled with perfectionism. Really have. And that being said, that soul defect in times past has profoundly affected my relationship with God. Sadly, and it really is a, a tragic truth, that I've struggled for years, for many, many years, to feel like I was good enough and spiritual enough to make God love me more. It wasn't until I was in my early 30s, so about half my life so far, in my early 30s, that I began to understand what I wanna share with you today. And it's the big idea. If you don't leave with anything today but this, please get this, here it is. In fact, I remind you, we've got outlines by the polls. If you didn't get one, you came in, um, they're always there. But the big idea, there's nothing, nothing we can do to make God love us any more or any less than he already does. There is absolutely nothing you can do to make God love you any more or any less than he already does. I said we'll be in Philippians 3. We, uh, the subtitle of my NIV Bible says there's no confidence in the flesh is the subtitle. And whether you've got your uh, paper Bible or your Bible app, let's take a look at Philippians chapter three, pick it up in verse one. Paul says, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. There it is again. We've heard this, we're gonna hear it again. Rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Paul says, I don't care that I'm repeating myself. You need to hear this, because it's important. Verse two, then he shifts into this, what? He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and here it is, put no confidence in the flesh. Verse four, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Now we put no confidence there, but I have reason for that. If anyone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, meaning the ultra-right, ultra-conservative, religious dudes, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law of faultless. Now Paul lists who he was, but he lands on this in verse one again. He says, but he calls us to rejoice in the Lord, to rejoice in the Lord. Now we'll unpack this passage in a second, but what does it mean? What does it mean to actually rejoice in the Lord? Well, number one, in your outline, to rejoice in the Lord means we understand that it's Jesus plus nothing. To rejoice in the Lord means we've got to come to this foundational key, very important understanding that it's Jesus plus nothing. In fact, we put no confidence in the flesh. Our confidence is always in him. It seems odd to me, and I, I remember the first time I started studying this, I thought, wow, why, where's Paul coming from when he shifts to verse two and he says, watch out for dogs and evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Now, I'm not gonna be too graphic here, but I need to describe some things. He refer, he's referring to a group of Christians and Christian teachers called the Judaizers, sometimes called the circumcision party. Now, some of you might be uh, Republicans or Democrats or Libertarians, and you identify with those parties. I'd be willing to bet that nobody's ever identified themselves with the circumcision party. <laughs> well, let me explain what's going on here. When God promised to bless a guy named Abram, who he changed his name to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, uh, God told him to circumcise himself and all the males who lived among him. Not a real fun picture or story, but it's important, especially important to the Jews. And the point here is that God gave Abraham a covenant. He gave him a promise. He said, Abe, I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna make you a blessing to the nations. I'm gonna bless the socks off you. In fact, as, as many as the stars are, so shall your descendants be. And God made a promise, a covenant with Abraham. And then he told Abraham, I want you to participate in this covenant. We don't do covenants very often. We have contracts, but a covenant in the Old Testament was a big deal. Always was with God, always is in the Old Testament. 
someone makes a promise, someone else says, and I'll do this, this is my promise. God made a covenant, a covenant promise to Abraham, and he said, as a sign of that covenant, I want you to circumcise yourself. Let me just read to you the passage briefly from Genesis 17, verse nine to 14. Here's what happened. As for your part in the agreement, this is God. You and your descendants must keep my covenant throughout generations, forever. The sign that you and your family will keep my covenant is this. Each male who lives among you shall be circumcised. The circumcised flesh of your foreskins constitutes a special sign of the covenant I made with you, a relationship bonded together by loyalty and love. Now, I can only imagine the look on Abraham's face at this point. What did you say, God? And why, why is this important? He's confused. He's perplexed. But God goes on. Verse 12, from this point forward, throughout coming generations, each male child born to you should be circumcised when he's eight days old. You must circumcise all male members of your household, even the slaves born within your household, or the servants purchased from foreigners who aren't your flesh and blood. Anyone and everyone within your household must carry this sign. Anyone and everyone, if they're part of your house, they gotta carry this sign. And here it is, this external mark on his body will be a sign of my everlasting covenant. God said this external mark, this outward thing, this sign on your body is gonna be a reminder to you. It's gonna be an everlasting reminder of my covenant with you. Verse 14, any male who's not separated from his foreskin will be cut off from his people and excluded from these covenants, covenant promises because he's broken my covenant. Now again, you're probably thinking, ooh, what is up? Why would God do this? Well, circumcision was an act of faith. And believe me, it was an act of faith that God required from Abe. That God asked of him, because it says in verse 13, this will be an external mark on your body as a sign of my everlasting covenant with you. Now, that little history, let's just move on. Let's quickly move on. Needless to say, the Jews for hundreds, thousands of years made a big deal, a big deal about this. Because God said, any guy who doesn't participate is cut off from my, my covenant, my promise. So we fast forward to Jesus. And Jesus, by the way, is a circumcised Jewish male. And he comes into this picture and he shifts things for the Jews. He begins to shift things in their thinking. He made circumcision of the heart the big deal. In fact, he shifted the focus from the external to the internal. And I don't have time to unpack that, but Jesus did that a lot. He said, you've heard it said, but I say to you. He said, I know you care about this, but I worry about this. Jesus shifted the focus from the external to the internal. It's one of the huge things that was a point of tension with him and the Pharisees. But Mark 7, verse 6, Jesus replied to the Pharisees, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In other words, Jesus chastised the ultra-conservative, self-righteous Pharisees for honoring God with their mouths, with their words, with their religious rituals, with their religious acts, while missing what really matters most, the heart. And that's one of the key things Jesus brought. Paul's making it clear here as well. Rather than put our confidence in a religious ritual, what's the connection? Why does Paul go here? Well, he's saying rather than put our confidence in our religiosity and some religious act. Now, some of us, like me, grew up in church. And I've been a part of religious rituals and, and liturgy from the time I was a little boy. And some of us put our confidence in, in religious rituals. And I'm here to tell you today, Paul's making this very clear. Don't put your confidence in those things. Rather, put it in God. Serve God by his spirit, boast in Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Now, he's not saying that religious rituals are wrong. 
But it's saying, but we can't put our hope and our confidence in those things. I have a good friend, fourth generation Mormon, family roots all the way back to Utah. And over the years, we have discussed many, many times uh, faith and God, and we've talked a lot about grace. And it almost always comes down to this. It's funny, this, the, I just keep bringing it back to the same point because it's the big deal. Almost always comes down to this with him. He says, he's been taught that grace is good. He would say, yeah, we believe in grace. If you got a Mormon friend, they're gonna say, we believe grace is good. Yes, we're saved by grace. But, and there's always a but, but it's not enough. For him, it's Jesus plus works. Yeah, it's grace plus works. And Paul here and in Galatians makes it painfully clear. It's Jesus plus nothing. And I'm telling you what I told him all the time. When it comes to your salvation and your eternal destiny, it's Jesus plus nothing. If you think you're saved because you go to church, eh, that's a problem. If you think you're saved because you went through catechism, that's a problem. If you think you're saved because you got baptized as an infant, that's a problem. Because it's not an external thing that matters, it's the heart that matters most. Again, not to say any of those things are wrong or evil in of themselves, but we put no, zero, no confidence in the flesh. It is relationship with Jesus, that's what matters. It's Jesus plus nothing. In fact, that means it's not what you do, but what's been done. Bill Hybels is kind of famous for his, it's not about do, but done, and he always writes it on the board. He puts a big D-O, says, you know, in most religions, it's about do. What do you do? You keep your nose clean, you do the right religious rituals, you chant enough, you do enough good works. It's always about do. And he says, but in Christianity, what makes Christianity unique, if you're investigating what it means to be a Christ follower, let me tell you what makes us unique among all the religions of the world. For us, it's about done. D-O-N-E. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. We sang about it today, and he said, it is finished. It's done. It's our confidence is put in him. In fact, Paul wrote this in Ephesians chapter two. It's a consistent theme of his. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 from The Voice. For it is by God's grace that you have been saved. You receive it through faith. How are we saved? Well, because we did all the right things. No, you've been saved by God's grace. You receive it through faith. It's not our plan or our effort. Look at that. It's not our plan, it's not what you do. It's not your plan, your effort. It is God's gift, pure and simple. You didn't earn it, not one of us did, so don't go around bragging that you must have done something amazing. I love the voice translation. It's not about you. Better than most. Paul understood that it's not about who we are or what we do, because we could never earn our salvation. And that's why here in Philippians 3, he's reminding us even of his history, his pedigree. He's saying, man, I was the ultimate Jew, and I put no confidence. He says, I was circumcised, I'm the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, one of the most religious Pharisees around. I followed the law, I did all, if everything was right, I was passionate for my faith to the point of persecuting the church. But Paul says, though, those things I used to put my confidence in, and they were awesome, so the truth is it's not enough. True for him, true for us. We must not put our confidence in the flesh, in our abilities, in our righteousness, in our nationalism or religionism, yes, that's a word, or in our practice of religious, religious ritual. We rejoiced, and this is the key point, we rejoiced in the what? Come on, in the Lord. We rejoiced in the Lord. Period, in the story, it's all about grace. We rejoice in what he has done for us, not what we can do on our own. Let's read on, Philippians chapter three, verse seven. But whatever were gains uh, to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. All those things that I thought were important, they're nothing to me now. What is more, I consider everything a loss 
Because, listen to this, this is so important. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Do you see relationship there? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. In fact, to make it clear, he says, I consider them garbage. That word literally could be translated sewer, or a more modern term might be crap. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, having, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Now works. It's not about us. It's like he's adding this exclamation mark to his point. He said, compared to Jesus, everything else is garbage. Compared to knowing Christ, nothing else matters. And I gotta be honest, as I was studying and preparing for this, I asked myself, would that, could I say that's always true? With integrity, can I say in my own heart, my own life, that compared to my relationship with Jesus and the righteousness that I have, which is right standing with God because of what he did for me on the cross, can I say that nothing else matters more to me than that? I've been working um, for a while now on my next kid's book. Uh, most of you know that I've got several books out and I wrote a kid's book a year ago and I've got one coming out, it's called Bye Bye Monsters. And uh, Wendy, I have a friend, an illustrator, she's done an amazing job in illustrations and she draws them by hand, it's original art. And here's, in fact, here's an example of it, one of the pages. And it's about Boo who's afraid and how to overcome fear. So it's a great kid's book. But I, I have this original art and I took it over to Kinko's or Fedco or whatever they're called now and I walked up to the counter, and I, you know, if you happen to work there, I'm, I'm not making a blanket statement about Kinko's or anyone. I'm just saying I walked up to the counter, and I said to the lady, uh, I've got original artwork here. I need to get it scanned. Uh, it's, it's done by color pencil. It's very, you know, if you rub your thumb on it, it's, and she's like, yeah, 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 whatever. So I could just tell. She was like, shut up and give me the work. So I said, okay, but please, let's, and I'm, I'm being very, I'm OCD, remember? So I'm being very particular about being, you know, careful with this. And, and then I watch her go over the scanner and here's what she's doing with the stuff. And she's just making a mess out of it. And the whole time I'm getting frustrated. And I wish I could tell you, because I'm such a godly man, that my, my, my natural reaction to her was gonna be kindness and grace and mercy and thank her. But when she came back over, I said, I told you that that stuff was, we had a little conversation. And uh, she wasn't happy, I wasn't happy. Let's just say, leave it at that. And then I got home. And I, it was just before I, I, after I took off from work and I went home and we were having family dinner and my grandson Caleb, who I love dearly, he's there and, and Caleb's all boy and he's, you know, he's a crazy kid, I love him. But uh, Caleb saw it and I was showing it to somebody and he says, Grandpa, I wanna see and he, gra he grabbed it. And I snapped. I snapped at him in not a kind grandfatherly way at all. I was just, Caleb! You know, I, it was really not okay at all because I had already frustrated and now I take my... Anybody else take their frustration out on other people? Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm not being very nice at all about this. It's just, that's the point. I lay down to go to sleep that night, and I hate those quiet moments when God speaks to me. <laughs> and I'm, kinda, I'm just kind of trying to go to sleep, you know, and doing my thing, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just whispers to my heart, just whispers, Kurt, compared to Jesus and being like him, nothing else matters. Oh. And of course, instantly, I thought of the way I was with a woman at Kinko's and Fedco and the way I was with my grandson. And I thought, you know, there's stuff that I care about sometimes more than I care about people. There's stuff that I care about more than I care about even my relationship with God. Let me say it again. It's Jesus plus nothing. 
Not stuff, not works, not our prized possessions, not our careers, nothing else matters more. We find joy when we put our hope and our confidence in him in knowing him. All right, let's move on. Here's the second aspect. I'll be short on this one. Number two, to rejoice in the Lord means there's nothing we want more than to know Jesus. Nothing we want more than to know him. Not only do we, do we understand that it's Jesus plus nothing. We gotta get that straight in our head. That it's, it's nothing I can do to add to what God's done for me and he just loves me, period. But I've gotta come to this point where there's nothing I want or desire more than relationship with him. Paul said it's knowing, not the, the incomparable worth of knowing Christ. He saw it was as priceless and that's the point he wants us to come to. Look at verse eight again. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He says there is nothing, even a close second, to knowing him. Verse 10, says I wanna know Christ. There it is again, I wanna know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and somehow, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. See, Paul not only had a, a Jesus first and foremost attitude, but he says, I long to know Jesus more than anything. Not just to know about him, but to personally and fully know Christ. I'm gonna meddle a, a little bit with some of you. Some of you know a lot. You've been around, you know a lot of stuff. Maybe you've got a lot of Bible verses memorized. Maybe you know a lot of theology, and I, that's good. There's nothing evil about that. But the point that Paul made that I wanna make to you is, do you know him? How's your relationship? How's your communication? Every relationship's based on communication, by the way. How's, how's your prayer life with God? How, how's the time you spend reading the word and learning about his heart, not just about his stuff? And when I read the scriptures, I wanna grow. I wanna grow in wisdom. I wanna grow my understanding of God and his ways. But you know what I read the scriptures for above all else? I wanna know him. I wanna know how God thinks and how he feels and what breaks the heart of God and I want that to get inside of me so I can know him more. This entire chapter in Philippians chapter three, and we'll finish it up, uh, Philippians three next week, it's about Jesus knowing his heart, knowing his plan, knowing his unconditional love and his life-changing power. Listen, listen carefully. Though we are loved without condition, and I said that, it's the big idea, we are. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you any more or any less than he already does. That's absolutely true. Though that is true, listen to me. Jesus wants you to grow. He wants you to grow. He wants you to discover the adventure of what it means to be a wholehearted lover and follower of Jesus. He wants you to grow. It's one of our five purposes around here. In fact, more than just understanding, experiencing some stuff, he wants you to draw near to him and to intimately and passionately know him better. Sometimes we can be like the little boy who fell out of bed and when his mom asked how it happened, he said, I stayed too close to where I got in. Sometimes we settle for a little. We stay satisfied with a little knowledge and a little love and we stay too close to where we got in. And we struggle and we fail, we fall because we stayed too close to where we started in our journey of faith. See, some of you have begun this journey called being a Christ follower, a Christian. Every week, three, four, five, sometimes as many as 10 people pick up New Believers packets. And we just did a New Believers class a, a week or two ago, and we had one person sign up and nobody showed up. 
now it's middle of summer, and to say I was disappointed would be an understatement when I heard about that. But I need to lean a little bit on some of you guys. You think you've made the decision. You've, yeah, I, I, I picked up a New Believers packet. I, I'm a Christ follower. And some of you, you haven't continued to grow. Some of you, you've, you know, you, you've taken some things. You've grown. You've, you've experienced some growth. But you're right now in cruise control. And there's not a passion in your soul to grow more in your understanding of God and his heart and his love for you. You need to crank up the fire. You've got to understand where Paul's coming from. He gets it. He's love, period. We can't earn it, and we don't deserve it. But that good love, that amazing love, that great unconditional love from God, it ought to drive us to want to to be more like him, to want to, even if necessary, Paul says, participate in his sufferings. When you get how much you are loved by him, when the more you understand that, the more it's gonna motivate you to want to know him. And why does knowing Jesus better matter? Because Paul says that's where we find joy. That's the key. So let me ask a couple questions and I'll wrap this up. What are you trusting in to make you perfect? What are you trusting in to make you righteous? Your efforts, your works, your religious skill, or your church background, or are you trusting in the finished work of Jesus on the cross? That's what the gospel's all about. That's what relationship's all about. It's trusting in him, believing in him, and what he did for you. And the second question is, what do you want most in your life? I'm not gonna ask you to answer that out loud, but boy, if, if I stood in front of you right now and I said, tell me, what is it you want most in your life? What would you re- reply? How would you respond to that? Talent, work skills, intellectual superiority, property, money, possessions, power, fame. What would you want most? in your life, or do you want to be intimate and deeply connected with the one who loves you more than his own life? Is that what you want most? Would that be, and I, I'd be honest, there are times in my life where I don't know that that would have been my first thought. Oh, I just wanna know Jesus. What do you want most? Oh, I just wanna know Jesus more. I just wanna be more in love with him. That's the call. That's Paul's challenge to us. I told you I didn't start to learn all of this about this love of God until I was in my early 30s. And the catalyst for it, and um, I'll never forget this moment, was, was uh, I was in Scotland. I was actually on a ministry trip, and a little old Scottish lady, I'm mean about four foot nothing, came up to me. And she got close to me, a little too close to be honest with you, looked up, uh, uh, you know, in my eyes, my face, and she said this, and I, I wanna make sure I quote it because I wrote it down on my journal, and I, it's, it's amazing. She said, you work too hard for what you already have, and you know too little of my Jesus. You work too hard for what you already have. And you know too little, my Jesus. Smack, smack, smack. What are you talking about, lady? But then it was like the Holy Spirit just went, boom. You work too hard for what you already have. Some of us are perfectionists and we're working too hard for what we already have. And then the other side of that coin is, and yet we don't know enough about the love, the goodness, the kindness. We don't know Jesus. So here's the bottom line. The key to knowing joy is not about something you need to do. It's about someone you need to know. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Father, thank you for loving us. I'm pretty sure that every one of us can think of a dozen reasons why we shouldn't be loved, why we don't deserve it. We've been angry, we've failed, we've thought things, said things, done things, even this week, Lord, that 
are not honoring to you. And the enemy uses those things sometimes to beat us up or we beat ourselves up. And I pray, Lord, that we would leave here today realizing, you know, it's never been about what we can do. That we would just rest in that love that we have. And yet, Holy Spirit, I ask you, would you also remind us that it's because of your love that we're motivated to want to grow? Because of who we are in you, because of what you've done for us, that we ought to be driven to just want to know you. Not just know stuff, but to know you intimately, passionately, to know you with all our hearts. God, make us wholehearted followers. I, sometimes I, I, I lay, Lord, in bed at night and I, I imagine what it would be like if, if a thousand Christians who call East Point home, if a thousand Christians who live in this valley and beyond, if a thousand of us loved you with all our hearts wholehearted, how would that rock our, our county? How would that rock our world? Lord, we get distracted. We pursue other things. And I just pray, Lord, that you'd help us today to leave here desiring nothing more than you. It's Jesus plus nothing. That's how we get saved. It's Jesus plus nothing that needs to be the passion of our heart. Keep your head bowed, your eyes closed just for a minute. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet started your life as a Christ follower. I'm so glad you're here. And this is a safe place for you to discover grace. Nobody's gonna twist your arm. We'll never embarrass you or force you or manipulate you, I promise. We're here today and you thought, you know, it's time for me. If that's what it means to be a Christ follower, if it's to embrace the love of God and then to know him, and you're thinking, that's what I want, if that's you, and you're ready today to begin your life as a Christ follower, I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. I'm going to ask you to make this prayer yours, just to own it, your own way, your own heart, to say, yeah, God, that's me, that's what I want. What matters most is the decision, the choice you make in your heart right now to say yes to God, to believe, to embrace, to accept what he's done for you on the cross. And if that's what you want today, just make this prayer yours. Jesus, I get it. You died for me, for my sin. And I've struggled for a long time trying to figure out how to get good enough. And I see today, it's not about me. It's all about you. I get it. I need a savior. I need grace. I need mercy. I need forgiveness. And so I come. And Jesus, as you surrendered your life on that cross for me, right now I surrender my life to you. Today, this moment, right here, right now, I'm making the choice to say yes follow you, to surrender my life to you. Now, if that's what you want, again, in your own way, say, yep, God, what that guy said, that's what I want, that's what I need. And the Bible says, the Word of God says, that moment you say yes, you are adopted into his family. You become his child. You're his now forever. Lord, seal that truth in the hearts of those making that decision here or online right now. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish with one of my favorite songs. It's a great, great truth that we have a good, good father. Uh, sometimes you're tempted to sneak out to get your kids or to leave or to get in the parking lot and run out of here. Can I encourage you? Take the next four, three or four, what's it, four-minute song and embrace this truth. Let it wash over you that he's a good, good father. Let's worship. I'll come back and wrap it up. Most of you have received a letter or email from me, and I almost always sign it, you are loved. I think it's the greatest truth, the most important thing that you can leave here with today is to remember that you're loved. And then to let that love motivate you to want to grow. 
more in love with the one who loves you more than his own life. Today, if you begin your lives with Christ follower, I encourage you to tell somebody, come let me know, come to, let Matt know. We want to pray with you. We want to walk you. This is the beginning. Don't just, you know, let it be the end. It's the beginning of a journey. And there's a packet, a gift pack's got a Bible, some material you starting to walk with Jesus. They're in the baskets by the doors. Pick one of these up, take it with you. Sign up for the next First Steps class. Get there. If you need prayer, prayer team will be down front. There's communion available always on both sides of the room. Next week, we're actually going to take communion. It's part of our service, and uh, we're going to be in joy again. Uh, Philippians talking about joy of pressing on in the midst of struggle. So I hope you come back. But you go this week knowing that you're loved. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here today.